It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hey, everybody, welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by Cadillac Foundation. On tonight's program, the full hour, getting you the latest on where we stand in our community with the COVID pandemic. A lot of information to bring your way. Terms we've come to be very familiar with. Case counts, vaccines, variants, phases, surges. We'll address them all today. Later in our program, we'll catch up with Dr. Brian York, an infectious diseases specialist at Cadillac. But first, we welcome Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, we've been uh, having this conversation, it seems like, endlessly over the past 14 months or so. But since we last spoke a week ago... We have been in what's described as a fourth surge. Is that still the case? When we look at our data, um, we certainly are concerned about what is happening regarding increasing uh, case numbers. But over the last few days, we've kind of noticed that plateauing of data. But as we've said time and time again through this last 14 to 18 months, you, you can't look at just one, two, or three days and determine a trend. That's why we really look at, you know, several weeks. What are we really doing? Or was it just a, a blip in statistics that caused it to go up? Or is it really truly trending down? We are, you know, cautiously optimistic that it is really trending down and the direction we want it to go. And we certainly look at... Um, our case rates um, in conjunction to vaccinations. And we see that our 60 and older crowd, they're well vaccinated, and that's not where we're seeing the burden of disease these days. When we look at our cases and that data, where we're really seeing it is that teens, that late teens to 39-year-old age group, That's where we're seeing the majority of our cases happening these days, and it also is the least vaccinated population in our community. So we know that case rate and vaccinations really go hand in hand. The more people vaccinate, the less cases we see. We'll touch on vaccinations in our next segment, but the good news from the state is that while numbers have been on the rise, all counties have been able to remain in the current phase of reopening and not have to backtrack. What do we need to show in the next few weeks to stay in this status? Because if I guess all things were being equal, both Benton and Franklin counties would have had to move back. You know, certainly Benton County um, did not meet the requirements to remain in phase three. And we were certainly concerned going into to yesterday as, as what would happen and would we be sent back a phase. And honestly, Jim, we lucked out. We really did luck out because our data was not looking good for us remaining in phase three. So we have a couple of weeks here to to continue trending in the right direction. And again, we have to put the responsibility back on our community and our community members. Um, it's each individual within our communities that determines the trends of, of this pandemic. And the more people that we can get vaccinated, the better off we'll we'll be, and we will see less cases. But it's also, you know, again, I look back to last year at this time, lots of graduations, lots of events that happen this time of year, lots of 
large gatherings of people having celebrations, and we know that that certainly bumped our statistics up last year, and we're starting to see that happening again this spring as we're hearing about those large parties of um, young people gathering to celebrate the end of the school year or other events, and we are starting to see, as, as this happens in our schools, that spills over into cases affecting our schools and our students' ability to stay in school. So we really have to, as a community, make that decision that each individual definitely affects the health of our community as a whole. When we put us all collectively together in one community, each of us and our choices will affect how healthy our community will be in the long run. And you touched on there is such a cause and effect with all of this because while there is a two-week pause, between now and that two weeks is Mother's Day weekend, one of those days that I know last year was an, uh, a holiday of concern uh, due, to the, due to the gathering. So uh, we may have gotten a two-week reprieve, but with the schools, and there's more one final part of sports activities, and if those get ramped back, those get, the, it, people playing that final month of spring sports can be impacted. So there, there, I guess there's a lot on the line writing in the next few weeks, right? You know, there really is a lot on the line, and you can't stress more that your personal choices really do affect what happens to our kids in school, our businesses. We want our businesses to stay open. We don't want to have to roll back. But it's each and every one of us that has to do the right thing to help out those businesses that have been struggling over the last, you know, 14 to 18 months. Um, and we just have to do what's right for for the not only the, the physical health of our community but the emotional health. And when you're gathering with people, especially with Mother's Day coming up, just remember to do it as safe as you possibly can. We know people are going to gather, and we know there are ways to do it much safer. And certainly, if you're vaccinated, you can meet with small groups of other vaccinated people and even unvaccinated people, especially if you're going to be outside, and be able to do it safely. And again, going back to vaccination is really the key to get us out of this. And we'll touch on that in a moment, just uh, where people can go to get vaccines, because obviously they're much more prevalent. But I guess as we prepare to do that, you just touched on a point I'd like to have you maybe elaborate on a little bit more in that if people are fully vaccinated, both moms, I guess, for Mother's Day and their kids or anyone who are there, they're going to be interacting with, it is okay to to get together, right? Yeah, you can, we have realized there is a safety when especially fully vaccinated people, meaning it's been two weeks since you got your last dose, then you're considered fully vaccinated. And if you meet in small groups like that, you're not going to spread between. If there are a few unvaccinated people, especially if you are maintaining that distance, and especially with the weather looking pretty good for this weekend, have your event outside, um, you're going to be much safer. And, and we kind of look at it as risk reduction. And in my world of infectious disease, we always talk about choosing what you can do for you and your family to actually reduce the risk of of spreading a disease, and in this situation, it's COVID. 
and we talked a lot about it last spring, and, and that hasn't changed this spring as far as social distancing, wearing your masks, washing your hands. But the, the tool we have this year that we didn't have last year certainly is vaccine. So obviously the, the advice for folks if they haven't is to get it, and we'll touch on more a little bit that in the second segment. But before we go to break, maybe just tie all this together as people are getting ready to, to enter this two-week period. You know, I, it sounds like uh, the governor had said, you know, we've got to weigh all of these factors, the economics of our state among them uh, in all of this, that, okay, we need to be able to allow this phased reopenings to continue, but we also need to keep an eye on the vaccine or an eye on the virus. Right, right. He's exactly right. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, she touched on that there is plenty of vaccine availability and opportunity around our region. They're also trying to get out into the community to areas to connect with people who may not be able to have as close of access to the vaccine. And we'll talk about all of those opportunities for you if you're still looking to get that vaccine. We'll do that right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program. A reminder, if you missed any of our program, you can listen to Cadillac on Call wherever you get your favorite podcast. Just search Cadillac on Call and off you go. Visiting with Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, before we move to the vaccine conversation, a comment, if you would, on where we stand with the variants. I know that's been an area of concern with these variant forms of the COVID virus. Sure. Um, that is definitely a concern of ours, especially as we're watching closely at our case rate and, and those pockets of our communities that are not vaccinated. We're seeing a number of the variants actually present in our community. Many of them, um, the concern is that they are, are much high, they're highly contagious. They're more contagious than the, the COVID that we first ha- had dealt with early in this pandemic. And we know that vaccines are extremely important as well so that people don't catch and start spreading these. So we know that they're here. We know that they can spread quicker and easier. And we'll continue to watch. Washington State Department of Health actually is one of the leaders in the United States in the number of testing they're doing for the variants. So we're getting very, very good data as far as what's happening in Washington state with regard to variants. Certainly a segue now into the vaccine, all the more reason to make sure people are taking advantage of the opportunity to get the vaccine, right? Right, absolutely. Where are we with availability in the Tri-Cities right now? Well, there's a lot of vaccine available out there, and that is certainly different than our conversations of a few months ago when it was a, a desperately desired commodity. Now we're having, um, you know, our clinics are a lot slower, especially the one out at the fairgrounds where we're not seeing the, the number of people coming through that we were certainly early on in this. But honestly, I guess that's to be expected. We've hit that rush of people who are desperate to get the vaccine. And I think from here on it's going to be, I wouldn't say a trickle, but but certainly lower numbers of people on any given day are going to come in and get vaccinated. So we have our, our fairground that is still open, and they are offering the Pfizer. And then 
at various times throughout the week. They're also offering the Johnson & Johnson vaccine since it's back out on the market again. And um, you, can, you can either sign up through PrepMod or they are actually these days just taking walk-ins out at the fairgrounds. We also have our um, vaccine happening out on Sundays at the Columbia Basin West testing site. So they are offering vaccine out there. Again, um, you can sign up or you can just walk in. You know, the other interesting thing we're doing around our community are what are called pop-up clinics. And that's where we just show up at a site, such as today we were outside of Fiesta Food in downtown Pasco with our canopy and our vaccinators and had a very good outcome there. And we were offering actually the J&J, &J, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine out there, and people were very interested in getting that vaccine. And what we've kind of noticed, and this is, is true across you know, my counterparts in the other jurisdictions, that people want the convenience of uh, being in the right place at the right time. There was a vaccine available, so I took it. I was planning to get vaccinated. It wasn't as convenient as I wanted until there it was. There was a pop-up clinic. Now's the time I'm going to get vaccinated. So what's happening a little bit is it's trending away from having mass clinics. Department of Health is looking at that mass vaccination clinic concept and uh, deciding that it's probably time to start moving away from that concept and getting the vaccine more into your neighborhood pharmacy, your, your medical home, which is your provider office, and having it available not in mass quantities, but more in um, and smaller amounts so that people who can access it when they go to their provider for their medical appointment or they happen to be going to the pharmacy for something else and, oh, I'll, I'll get my vaccine while I'm here. Very much like flu shots are available every year all around our community. And that seems to be the trend that uh, we will be moving with the COVID vaccine also. You know, we'll also be continuing to work very, very closely with our ag community the food processing plants, the other agricultural employers are still contacting us and making sure that we're able to get out there with our vaccine teams and get that very vulnerable population vaccinated. And as you touched on places like the CBC West testing site out near the airport, but also I understand places like farmers markets and pla uh, locations like that at times when are more convenient for people. Right. We'll be at the Pasco Farmers Market um, and various other sites around the Tri-Cities over the next few weeks. And what we find, we've truly found, is it's, it's um, convenience now. There was certainly that group of people who are early adapters. I want that vaccine. I want it today. I'm going to find a place to get it. And now we're moving into that phase where yeah, I want to get the vaccine. I'll get it when I get around to it or when it's convenient. And they happen to be in the right place, the right time, and they get vaccinated. And that's a bit of what we're seeing right now is not, you know, there's certainly the vaccine hesitant people, but there are those vaccine people who are wanting it, but it just hasn't been quite convenient for them. And so trying to make 
uh, access to vaccine much, much more convenient for the general population. I know here in our community, we have returned to full in-person school learning for those uh, families and children that want to do it. I know, what is it, 16 and older are now eligible for the vaccine, and fairly soon, I understand, approval will be coming from the FDA for now kids between the ages of 12 to 15, right? Right. Pfizer is going through that approval process right now. They're telling us that perhaps as early as next week, they will be approved for that 12 through 15 age group. And we have done a couple of clinics at some local high schools, and again, with with pretty good response. So we know that there are parents and adolescents who do want the vaccine because it, it, if they don't get the disease, their, their life is less disrupted. They won't have to stay at home in quarantine. They won't have to stay out of sports and quarantine if they're exposed, if they're fully vaccinated. And I think another trend that I find interesting is our universities and colleges are definitely making a statement. Uh, Washington State University has already come out and said that they are going to require COVID vaccine for the start of the school year. You know, there's certain some exemptions that come into play, um, religious, medical, philosophical, but our schools of higher learning, our, our universities got hit pretty hard this past year with COVID on campus in a way to improve the situation, again, is, is get our college students vaccinated so that they can remain in that, that college environment. And, and with the, I, the, the, the school, the high schools and whatnot, we talk about the near-term issues with, with the danger of going back to the phases between now and the end of the school year. But I know, obviously, I'm sure you're already looking out to where do we want to be, where do we need to be come August when a new school year begins, and I'm sure everybody is hopeful that we are going to be full in person come the end of August. Right, and I sound like a broken record when (laughs) I say vaccinate, 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 but that truly is our our ticket to opening up our community and and seeing the reduction in, in COVID case rates. Well, we have just about a minute or so left, if you would, and I know, uh, I know almost what you're going to say, but I want you to say it because of the credibility that you bring with your experience and your expertise. Mother's Day weekend is here. The summer is here. Our rates are improving. Vaccines are here. But what is the message uh, as we enter this, I guess, crucial time? You know, the, the strong message is if you were thinking about getting vaccinated and just haven't done it, now's honestly the time to do it. Don't wait any longer. 95% of our U.S. medical doctors are fully vaccinated. So the vaccine has the trust of the medical community. It has my trust. I, I'm fully vaccinated. My family is fully vaccinated. Uh, vaccines are one of the most amazing inventions that has changed the course of illness over many, many years. My 39 years in public health. I've seen what vaccines have done to improve the health of our community. It's exactly the same with COVID vaccines. So now's the time. And I guess a continued emphasis to wear those masks when you're indoors, even if you are vaccinated, right? Right. It's so important to wear those masks and and hand wash. We can never, ever forget the importance of, of hand washing, that good hand hygiene, especially going into Mother's Day weekend when you're going to be gathering with friends and family. 
Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. Thanks so much for your time again tonight. We look forward to making it through the next two weeks in good fashion. Back with the second half of Catholic on Call right after this. Listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by Catholic Foundation. We have worked very hard the past year to use this venue as a means of sharing credible, factual, and up-to-date health information relative to all things COVID. And one of our frequent guests has been Dr. Brian York, an infectious diseases specialist at Catholic. I wanted to bring Dr. York on again to give his perspective as what it was like one year ago during this time and what we've learned in the intervening months. Well, a year ago, we didn't know a lot, and we were just trying to figure out, you know, what our capacity was to make the diagnosis and then what kinds of treatments could be offered. Um, We conducted clinical trials. We took part in multiple studies um, to partly to just have options available, uh, but at the same time gathering data to help understand whether those treatments were successful. And uh, like the, the studies eventually showed when those were published, uh, they were beneficial for some patients, not beneficial for others. They tended, the things we were using, like remdesivir and convalescent plasma, tended to work the best if they were given early in the course of the illness, but if you gave them late, they didn't make much of a difference. Uh, fortunately, now there are better therapeutics that actually have some benefit for patients who have severe illness, including the monoclonal antibodies, which our, our critical care doctors are using when patients are sick enough to be in the ICU, uh, and we're seeing more success with that. And, and fortunately, we're also seeing less severe illness as, you know, we've been able to roll out the vaccines and get more of our high-risk population vaccinated. We're, we're still seeing cases, but we're not seeing as many of those cases result in hospitalization and death. So um, a, a lot, we're in a much better position this year than we were last year, uh, but still seeing some concerning trends because we know that here in our community last summer, we had a really uh, large wave of COVID cases uh, that started right around this time, uh, early May, and, and carried pretty strong through June and July. And we're seeing a little bit of an uptick now, suggesting we may see a similar pattern again. So we have to remain vigilant and be really careful. And we, we really just have to make sure we're getting people vaccinated as quickly and efficiently as possible. What was it like a year ago at this time? You mentioned the cases started to to tick upward, but what you knew, I guess, maybe take us back in time to what you, when you'd go up under the critical care unit or when you'd go through the hospital and, and see the team caring for the patients, what were the big challenges at that time? Well, the, the biggest challenges then were that we we didn't know whether the treatments that we were offering were really going to help. Um, we were putting people on um, experimental medications that we hoped would be helpful. And we did see cases where the patient would turn around fairly quickly within a few days of starting those treatments. Uh, but we also had cases where they didn't appear to make any difference at all. And we had some patients who couldn't receive those treatments for various reasons. 
uh, reasons, and, and sometimes they would still get better. So it was really challenging until the studies were released. We, we couldn't say for sure if we were even offering anything to help other than supporting people through uh, the low oxygen levels and, and providing supportive care. We always knew that the supportive care we could provide would bridge the patients through until hopefully they would begin to improve on their own. But we really didn't know if the uh, medications or convalescent plasma were actually helping them. And then as once the studies came out, we knew that we kind of knew which groups of patients they would be helpful for, particularly somebody who came in early in the course of illness and got diagnosed. If we started those treatments right at the very start of, of symptoms, then we could really make a difference. And one uh, but of the, that took a while to figure out. So it, right. early on, if I would, could sum up everything in, in one statement about what it felt like a year ago, it, was, it felt very helpless because we, we really saw a lot of people sick and struggling and didn't have anything we could offer where we could actually say to them, this will help. We just had nothing like that that we could offer. And the fact that the people that were sick were the most vulnerable parts of the population too, right? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, we saw the illness go through many of our local uh, nursing homes, um, and we were able to, uh, fortunately, we were able to get our nursing homes in the community to uh, work very well together as a coordinated team where some of the nursing homes that had seen COVID cases uh, began to uh, become COVID nursing homes, and then we had other nursing homes that hadn't had any COVID, and we were able to keep it out of them and keep them protected. And so even when we were looking at discharging patients from the hospital, if there was a patient with COVID who needed to be in a nursing home and couldn't go home, they would go to a facility that was only caring for COVID-positive patients, and so they weren't being mixed with patients who were vulnerable and at risk. And then all of the other nursing homes were able to stay protected and free of COVID, and that worked really well. Um, there were a lot of communities where there were challenges around nursing homes. And, you know, you were in some places it was either, you know, accept the fact that it's going to spread through the nursing homes, uh, which would be devastating, or say, no, we're not going to let any of our COVID patients go to any nursing homes at all, but then they would stay in the hospital. And, you know, there's only so much capacity to keep a lot of patients in the hospital. And so in our community, we were able to strike a balance between having nursing homes that focused on caring for COVID patients who needed to be there uh, and then other nursing homes that focused on caring for the patients that didn't have COVID and we screened aggressively and made sure that we kept COVID out of those nursing homes. And so we had two different sets. And these are all facilities that are owned by different entities and don't usually, they, they generally see one another as competitors to one another in the community, but yet they all got together and worked together to coordinate this effort to make sure that a skilled nursing rehab care was available for everyone, whether they had COVID or not and in a way that uh, did not allow COVID to spread in those facilities. It was really nice to see. Well, and, and to say there's the, the term PPE was the other issue, by the way, and then the testing was in limited supply. So it was almost a perfect storm of just challenge uh, at, at its highest yeah. level. Yeah, and fortunately, we've we've not had any issues with getting PPE for our healthcare workers for probably at least seven or eight months now that through the summer there were times and you know for at first it was um you know the masks and then it was the face shields and gowns and you know always a little bit of different struggle of what we were having a hard time getting but all of those items we have plenty of and we're always able to get plenty of so no issues there and then um you mentioned the um 
What was the other thing you mentioned? Well, just the, the numbers of hospitalized patients and the fact that you couldn't have visitors so that the healthcare teams were playing multiple roles. Correct. And um, we've been able to ease that up a little bit um, so that, that it's easier for, for families to be able to come in and spend time uh, with their, their sick family members in the hospital. That has gotten better. So we're still controlling access to the hospital and screening everyone as they enter. Uh, but more people are able to, to come and enter now. And then the other thing I almost forgot about, the testing. You mentioned the testing. Right. Um, a year ago, we still had extremely limited supply of, of testing that would give us quick results. You know, tests that we could do in the community where we'd have a result within an hour or within a day. Uh, and anything beyond that would have to be sent out to commercial labs that often had turnaround times of three to five days, which really doesn't help you. Uh, when you're trying to make decisions in in live, in real time, to decide where to put a patient in the hospital or whether to isolate or not, and so now you know we that has improved to where we are screening every patient that's admitted to the hospital with or without COVID symptoms. Uh, we're screening, and if a patient stays in the hospital for more than seven days, they get rescreened periodically throughout the hospital stay so that we're able to seriously reduce the likelihood of, of staff, other patients, or visitors in the hospital being exposed to COVID because of that constant screening that's being done. Um, so that, that's that been good. We have the drive-up testing site where patients in the community who have symptoms and think they might have COVID can just drive in at the uh, site out at Argent Road near CVC and pull in. They don't even have to get out of the car. Uh, they can get a test and then have a way to get their results. So uh, testing has been much, much more efficient, and that's good because when people know they have COVID, the hope is that they're going to be more careful and quarantine, and we are aware of it, and the health department can contact them and make sure they understand how they should protect others around them. We'll have more of our conversation with Dr. Brian York right after this. Welcome back to the program. Continuing our conversation with infectious diseases specialist, Dr. Brian York. He has great insight and perspective on the vaccines that are available. So we want him to weigh on with his message for folks reluctant or unwilling to be vaccinated. Well, I I think we're fortunate in the United States to have three different vaccines available. Um, the single-shot Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the Moderna and Pfizer two-shot vaccines, both of which use the mRNA uh, technology, they have all been shown to be highly effective at preventing severe disease. Uh, the Johnson & Johnson is a little bit less effective if you look at total symptomatic cases, although if you compare them in terms of the likelihood of hospitalization, uh, death, or severe illness, they all have better than 95% efficacy in that regard. So that's really good to see. Uh, in Washington State, we're, we're doing pretty well. We've actually seen, um, I, I believe, cumulatively in Washington State, we are up to about 6 million doses of vaccine given. Let me see. I'm going to make sure I have that correct. Just under 5.6 million vaccines in Washington State. And uh, in Benton County, um, we're up to uh, 144,000 doses in Benton County. And Franklin County is lagging a little bit behind. Um, I know at the health department they're, they're looking at that and trying to figure out how to increase awareness and make sure we're getting people to the vaccination site. But we've, we've really uh, been able to get vaccination to a lot of people in Washington State and in our counties. If you would, though, um, for the, the people who 
are, are, are holding out or not wanting to get the vaccine. What's your message to them? Well, I think I, I know a lot of people who've gotten the vaccine. Um, I got it myself. Members of my family have received a vaccine. I feel that it's safe. I think there's some concern out there because of the fact that it's listed under an emergency use authorization. Um, there's a notion that it is that it is still experimental, and I think that's a, a misrepresentation because the clinical trials that led to the approval of these vaccines were very robust and, and studied uh, tens of thousands of patients receiving vaccine versus placebo. Um, so I, I think the FDA did the right thing by moving more quickly through its process to make sure that it was safe to be given. Uh, normally, vaccines do have a, a longer period of time between when they're developed and when they're finally approved for use, but that's not always the case. Um, we should keep in mind that every year the the flu shot has to be redeveloped with uh, the the strains of the flu virus change on a regular basis. And so every year we're adjusting what's in the influenza vaccine, including sometimes even changing whether or not there need to be adjuvants given, changing whether it's live or attenuated virus. So there's a number of different aspects of the flu vaccine that changes every year. And yet it, it comes out on a regular schedule and does not require years of study to verify its safety. So I, I think um, I would encourage people who are at risk of severe illness from COVID-19 to receive the vaccine. There is no other single thing that any high-risk individual can do to protect themselves. Um, we're still encouraging social distancing and mask use when in public, um, in mixed groups where you don't know if everyone's vaccinated, uh, less so outdoors. Um, and that provides some protection, but for someone who's at risk of severe illness from COVID-19, even making sure that everyone around them always wears a mask does far less to protect them than going and getting their vaccine. So I hope everyone at high risk who's worried about getting COVID would go get the vaccine because that can give them excellent protection. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of hesitancy in younger people who don't consider themselves to be at high risk from COVID. And I think generally it is true that younger people, if you're under the age of 50, your risk of having severe illness and dying from COVID is much, much lower than older people or people with medical comorbidities. But we do still see, even, even within the past few weeks, we are still seeing young, healthy people who have severe COVID and end up admitted to the hospital. It's less common, but it's, we're seeing more and more of that as a percentage of the patients we're admitting to the hospital because so many of the higher risk people have received their vaccine. And I think we're seeing younger patients in the community being a little bit less careful about getting COVID because they're not as worried about infecting their parents or grandparents anymore. So they're, and that's why they were being careful for the whole past year was more to protect mom and dad and grandma and grandpa which is good. And I think we're seeing people relax a little bit and not be as concerned. And so a lot of our new cases that we're seeing spike over the past uh, few months have been in younger people, and many of them are ending up in the hospital. So I don't think people should consider themselves to be completely free of risk uh, just because they're young and healthy, and they can still protect themselves and those around them by getting the vaccine. We 
want you to touch on, if you would, these variants, because I see this current uh, spike back up in cases, and Oregon apparently has seen more variant uh, than we have here in Washington State. But but what's the cautionary tale on, on these variants, and what should people be aware of? Why is that such a, a big deal? Well, the, the biggest concern with the variants is whether they will escape the immunity that people get from either receiving the vaccine or from having already had uh, the, what we call the wild type or the original virus previously. Um, in Washington state, we're screening for variants. Um, about On average, about 10% of all of the positives that, that uh, are identified in confirmed cases. In March, it was about 12.5%. They're focusing that screening on situations where variants are most likely to be found. So people who may have had COVID for a second time, people who got vaccinated and got COVID anyway, uh, people who traveled recently, uh, people associated with certain clusters or outbreaks. That's where they're focusing this testing. Uh, Cumulatively, about 25% of the strains that have been uh, sequenced or or, uh, viruses that have been sequenced so far have turned out to be among these variants. We can't generalize that to the to the population as a whole because they're not doing a random sample. As I mentioned, they're, they're targeting it to situations where variants are likely. So this is probably an overestimate of the total amount of variants in Washington state, but there's really no way to know that. The state wants to eventually start doing some random sample testing, which would get them, uh, allow them to make a more general statement about the actual prevalence of variants in the state. Uh, but for now, we just have this targeted screening. The the ones that are most common, um, which are the California strains, what are called the B427 and the B429, those are the most common in Benton and Franklin counties uh, and in the state. And then we're also seeing the United Kingdom strain or the B117. Uh, there is pretty good evidence that people who've had COVID before and people who've received vaccine uh, still have very good effective antibody responses and protection. Uh, the one that is most likely to be problematic in terms of not uh, potentially not having good immunity is the Brazilian strain called P1. And we have seen some cases of that. I think in Benton and Franklin counties, there have been a total of about 22 uh, incidences of that strain. And early on, there was a lot of concern that that could escape uh, immunity from a prior infection or from vaccine. But uh, so far, that has not been confirmed or verified. And um, there are still antibodies formed. It just takes more of the antibody to neutralize the virus in the test tube. And they have not yet been able to identify what level of antibody in human blood is consistent with immunity. So if you measure antibodies in someone's blood after a vaccine or after having COVID, can you measure a a level of that antibody and and determine if that protects them or does not protect them against any of these strains. That work is being done, but we don't yet know that. So all we know about some of these strains like the P2, uh, sorry, the P1, is that it takes more antibody to make the virus ineffective, but we don't yet know whether or not most people would have that amount of antibody and still be able to overcome that, that resistance. And so where the CDC has not yet identified any strains uh, that they consider to be of high consequence, which would, of course, require uh, reporting to the WHO and and doing more aggressive containment measures. So so that's good news. Maybe just take one final minute, if you would, uh, before we run out of time. I'd like to have you just maybe 
give us a takeaway message as we speak in early May of 2021. We've covered a lot of ground in these two segments, but from your view in the, as a professional in infectious diseases, um, what's your takeaway for our listeners tonight? I think we're in a much better position this year than we were at this time last year. Uh, the monoclonal antibody treatments that are being used in, in the very sick patients uh, show promise and help to prevent death when people have severe illness. We, we're seeing that even with more cases being identified and more hospitalizations, the number of people who are dying from COVID-19 is much lower than it was uh, a year ago or even six months ago. Uh, that is not to say that, that we should let our guard down. Uh, people certainly, you know, it, it causes problems. People can sometimes have persistent symptoms, persistent respiratory difficulty that can last for weeks or months. Um, hopefully not permanently, but we don't really know that yet. We just know that for some people, it can lead to significant respiratory disability that, that can be a lingering problem. Our thanks to Dr. Brian York for his very timely messages and reflections of the past year with COVID-19. And our thanks to you for listening. We'll talk again next week on Catholic on Call.